Open up your Bibles or your phone or your tablet or however you're looking at the Scriptures. Turn to Acts, the seventh chapter, and uh, I am going to share today, and maybe for a couple of weeks, a subject called Examples Unto Us. Examples Unto Us, or you could say it like this, Examples Unto Believers. But this would work for other people too. But this is true about believers. And so uh, Acts, the seventh chapter, and uh, we're going to not start reading. I'm going to explain something. Maybe I'll read one verse. How's that? Just to kick it off. Acts 7, verse 37. Uh, It says, This is that Moses... Now, this is Stephen, and this is real important. He is preaching a message, and he, I mean, this is one of like the longest sermons in the New Testament, you know, in the epistles, or, you know, since the church started. I mean, this covers more than a chapter, and he's just laying out this stuff. I mean, he's going for it, and he transitions from talking about Abraham. Now he's going to start talking about Moses, and he's going through all this, and it said, and this This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. So Moses told the children of Israel, and Stephen's preaching this, way back in the book of Exodus. Now that's not when he told them it was written about it. But way back then, he said, Hey, there's coming a day that there's going to be a guy who's going to come on the scene, he's going to be a prophet, he's going to be the Savior, he's going to be like me to you. And so notice this. He said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear. And then he goes on to preach all these different things and gives these illustrations Now, I'm going to give them, and some of them, and then we're going to look at some details. Because remember, the sermon title is Examples Unto Us. And what he's about to do is start telling us how Moses looked like Jesus. How Moses looked like Jesus, and how that when Jesus would come, you're going to see some stuff that happened with Jesus like it happened with Moses. For example, when Moses first came of age, and he talks about this, we all know the story, Moses grew up as really in the king's house. Didn't he? But he wasn't of the world and of that kingdom, and Jesus grew up a king, but didn't function as a king, and he came to his own, and it was in his heart to deliver the people of Israel, remember? And he came and what happened? They said, who do you think you are? They rejected him. Remember, Jesus came to his own, the Bible said, and his own received him not. Didn't they, who killed Jesus? The Jews. Now, there were some people who accepted him, but his initial thing, they said no to you. Right? Didn't Jesus say, how often I would have gathered you like a mother hen does her chicks, but you would not. And so, if you go look at Moses' life, you'll see a lot of parallels 
with Jesus. And Moses appeared, when he appeared, what was the thing that brought the children of Israel out of Egypt? He came, he had all these miracles, and these miracles let the people know this is the guy who's going to deliver us. Didn't that happen? And then he brought them out of Egypt. Bible scholars say Egypt is a picture of the world in sin. So when you see Egypt and stuff like that, it's like living in sin and living in bondage. But if you remember, Jesus appeared in the earth having miracles, having signs, having wonders, and He also then suffered, though, to deliver the children of Israel out of their sins or the world, right? To pay for it. So you can see these parallels. But there are certain parallels here that are real interesting as you move on in them. And he said he would be like him. And so one of the ones that I find that is uh, super interesting is one that he brings up here in verse 39. You guys ready? The children of Israel were brought out of sin, right? Brought out of Egypt. They had a deliverer. I mean, and when the children of Israel came out, remember what happened to them? How did they come out? They came out clean, protected, right? Kill this lamb. When you kill the lamb, partake of the lamb. Put the blood on the doorpost. It will protect you from evil. Then provision came to them. This is a picture of salvation. And then God used Moses to bring them out. And it said there was none feeble healing. There were, they, there were none that lacked. I mean, you think about it. And, and what happened? This blood covered them and protected them from the things that were destroying the Egyptians. And out they come. And they came out with a strong hand. It's a picture of Jesus. You with me? He was the Lamb who died. He was the Lamb who shed His blood to protect us Christians, to wash us to protect our homes, to protect our lives, and to bring provision to us. And so it, these are tremendous parallels. That's why he said, he will be like me. And then he goes through and preaches this long section showing how Moses looks like Jesus. Or when Jesus came, you'd be able to see similarities between the two. You know, we can do that in the Bible. They're called types and shadows. You know what I mean? You know what a shadow is? Some people aren't sure. Anybody when you're little make those little hand things and catch a shadow? Dragon, you know, fighting. You know, that's a shadow. Maybe we'll dismiss and ask everybody to come back in. Everybody go stand and find your shadow. You know, unless you know what's a Peter Pan where his shadow disappeared. I can understand that. But... uh it wasn't him, it was whoever it was in there. But you have a shadow. That means it shows an image. Have you ever looked at your shadow and thought, that ain't me. <laughs> I, ain't, I don't look like that. <sighs> it didn't change it, you know. And you think, that's no good. But it shows an image, but it doesn't show total detail. Well, the Bible said 
that, that the Old Testament is types and shadows. And so we see Abraham when God gave him a child. Remember, God gave him a child. He couldn't have kids. And he had a child. And through that child, all the children of Israel would be blessed. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac couldn't be born naturally because they were past the age where they could have kids. So if they were going to have a child, it was a miracle. It was a picture of Jesus. Mary, if she was going to have a kid as a virgin, it was going to be a miracle, right? And so we see these types and shadows. And then as Abraham uh, got older and Isaac got older, remember God said, offer up your only son. And remember, he took a bundle of wood and he went up and and he said, well, where's the sacrifice? He said, the Lord will provide. It was a picture of Jesus being offered up, God giving his only son. And even when he was about to strike down his son, he said, because you didn't refuse him, all your descendants will be blessed. And because God didn't refuse to give his son, all of us are blessed and the whole world who would receive Jesus are blessed. And so we see these type of pictures and that's what he's painting here, is there's a picture of Moses and the church world, and Jesus. And so here in verse 39, we're going to begin reading. It says, whom our fathers would not obey, talking about following Moses, but rejected, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. And he's going to explain when this happened, and how it happened. You with me? He said in verse 40, saying to Aaron, now these are the children of Israel, saying to Aaron. Now Aaron is Moses' preacher. He's his mouthpiece. Remember, when Moses went to go into the land, or in to talk to Pharaoh, he said, who's going to speak for me? I need somebody to speak on my behalf. He said, all right, I'll give you somebody who will proclaim your words to him. That sounds like a preacher. Conveying his words. And so they tell Aaron, hey Aaron. What did they say? This is real interesting saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. What happened here was this. Moses is a picture of Jesus bringing people out of sin and out of the world. He brought the children of Israel out. They saw miracles. They saw all these wonderful things happen. And now they're out of sin. They're out of Egypt and they're serving the Lord. But Moses disappears for a time. Forty days. And they're down here and they start getting restless. Because they haven't seen him. And they said, this guy who brought us out, they knew him. They had an experience with him. They had walked with him, saw these wonderful things, but now they haven't seen him for a day, another day, another day, another day. And they're like getting restless. And they said, you know what? We don't see him. Where's he been? 
It's so long, we don't even know what happened to him. So they said this, verse 41. And so they told him, we don't know what's become of him, verse 41. And they made a calf in those days. Somebody say, what do you mean they made a calf? A golden cow, if you know this story, a golden calf. And then they offered sacrifices to the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Think about it. They turned back to old ways, worldly ways. Back in the old country, they would worship these type of things. It had been, you know, a little while, and their Savior, their Deliverer, had not appeared. And they got restless and said, you know what? We're tired of going this way. We're tired of serving Him like this. And they started to compromise their life to the point where they started going back and doing things they should have never done. As a matter of fact, it would tell you here and in other places that the people would uh, do some service to God, but then they would... uh, eat and sacrifice then they'd rise up and have a party and they would offer and start doing stuff that the rest of the world was doing that was a compromise with their walk with god and they started what people would call backsliding or living wrong and it's interesting that in exodus 32 if you're taking notes you can go back and look at it uh the the first Uh, chapter or the first verse on through about the fifth verse he explains this very story how that when Moses went up on the mountain and kind of time drag drug on they said they said those very things Where, where has this guy gone you know if we're not careful we can go when is Jesus gonna come and we can lose the vitality of knowing we are for sure coming near the end. And really what happened with these people was not all of them, but a big chunk of them were totally caught off guard when Moses returned. Totally caught off guard. They had gone back and started fooling with things they shouldn't. They were like, when is he going to come? When is this going to happen? And they literally started living like the rest of the world, how they used to live when they were in Egypt. And then all of a sudden Moses came down off of the mountain and it was not pretty. You with me? It wasn't pretty. It, It was not a good thing. This is really like a picture of the church, and I'm going to prove it by scriptures, that we need to be careful we don't repeat the same thing they did. Because some will repeat this. And there are stern warnings about this where some people will just not be ready when the Lord returns. And it's going to be like when Moses went up on the mountain, he wasn't there for a while. He didn't, Moses didn't cease existing. They just ceased seeing Him. They ceased experiencing Him. They did experience the glory of God, though. Or we would say the presence of God. Because they could look up at the mountain and see this glory and this occurring, but they couldn't see Moses and they didn't see God. Or they didn't see, in this example, Jesus. And they got restless and said, you know what, it's okay to go back and do some of the stuff we used to do. It'll be okay. 
it'll be okay. And then, but they still thought they were doing okay and they were mixing together stuff they shouldn't have been with their walk with God. And uh, then Moses came back. Or you could say it like this. It's a picture of Jesus coming back. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. And we are going to see that this same thing was written here in the Scripture. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. And we're going to see that this is used as a parallel to Christian life and a warning about being ready. You with me? 1 Corinthians 10, and doing the things we ought to do. Nobody sets out, I couldn't imagine anybody setting out to go, I'm not going to be ready when the Lord returns. I'm going to be just serving, I'm going to be serving stuff I shouldn't be serving. You with me? Yet there are warnings about that. And if there are warnings, then there are clear-cut dangers. Man, wouldn't it be nice if we lived in a world that was not fallen? And, and all this junk. But they had lived in the world. They had lived a certain kind of life. The children of Israel. And when they came out... They were really delivered. They really had somebody guiding them and leading them, but they started compromising and brushing stuff off, and they started living their old way of life before Moses had delivered them. Though it says, if you read, and we'll read this here, in, uh, I'm debating where to start. Let me just say this. And then we'll read further back. They started living life like when they were in the world. They lived the old sinful ways. And at the same time, they were doing the God thing. They were. They were, they were kind of like, hey, it's okay. We're doing the God thing and we can live however we want to. And so they would offer up false sacrifices. And, but then they were still, hey, we're God people. And they were kind of not doing what they knew to do. And somehow they let it all creep in. And they ended up somewhere they shouldn't have been. Everybody okay? 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Notice this, the first verse. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. This is talking about that glory that traveled over the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And then they went into the Red Sea. And you know what's interesting? He calls the Red Sea the baptism of Moses. They were baptized into Moses. You know, everybody who's saved should get water baptized, but Galatians 3.27 says that when somebody gives their life to the Lord, they're baptized into Christ, not into water, they're put into Christ. Not into water. That happens after. When you give your life to the Lord, you're put into Jesus. What they did was they got baptized into Moses. Remember, it's a parallel. It's a picture. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers, the only ones, all of them, all our descendants, 
were under the cloud, that glory, and passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That glory and through the Red Sea. It's a picture. Isn't it a picture? If you're not sure, we'll keep reading. All ate the same spiritual food. Remember the manna that came down from heaven? And they gathered and ate spiritual manna. Remember Jesus, when He came on the earth, He said, I am the bread of God. I am the manna of heaven. Then He goes on and saying, all drank the spiritual drink. What, what spiritual drink? I want some of that spiritual drink. He, he tells you. Remember the rock that followed and water came out? He said that rock was Jesus. Now we all that are saved have a well of salvation springing up after we give our life to the Lord. And He said... And it says in that, they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Remember, Moses struck the rock the first time, and water came out, and all the people lived. And then remember, he got in trouble, because what did he do? He struck it again. Why was it so bad that he struck it again? Because that rock was a picture of Jesus. He only had to be struck once, die once for our sins. So when he struck him again, it was like, you have to die again. And that's why God said, no, this is a picture, Moses, of Jesus also. And he will die once and deal with sin for every person who receives him. You don't need another sacrifice. You got it. You're clean when you receive him. And so it's interesting. He goes on, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. Why? Now, he had paid for their sacrifice. He paid the way. And he said, when well, most of me was not pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things became our examples. Notice the title. Examples unto us. These things. Now, he's about to tell us some examples that we need to be aware of in our Christian walk. Warnings to the Christian to help us. You with me? We, we, because we love kids, we'll tell them, don't touch that, don't, right? I mean, don't pick that up, don't eat it. Isn't that a famous one-liner for parents? Don't pick that up, don't eat it. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. And how many kids have you heard stories about they found something under a couch, ate it, and it killed them or made them severely sick? Right? And so is that parent being mean or just totally looking out for their best? Looking out for their best. And that's how it is with God. But notice this, but with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Notice verse 6. Now these things happened or these things became our examples. Well, what was the first example or the main one we've been looking at? Moses going up on the mountain. While he is absent, they start setting up idol worship and start going back to ways they shouldn't have been doing things. Notice this. Notice, and these became our examples to the intent or for the reason that we should not lust or desire after evil things. Why would God tell Christians not to desire evil things? Christians would never desire something wrong. This must be a typo. Because what Christian would ever desire to do something that would be contrary to God? 
and not want to be full blast for God. I'm going to have to study this further because this can't be right. No, we know it's right. We know that desires come to all people that are not appropriate. And the Bible tells us one of the people that traveled with Jesus, Peter, said, don't think it's strange when trials and tests, which means you're tempted, a wrong desire comes. Don't think it's strange. What's wrong with me? They come to everybody. That's why he tried to warn these people. Notice this. But we don't have to give in. But notice he said, they were our examples so that we wouldn't desire after evil or wrong things as they also desired. What's the purpose? And notice this, and do not become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. This is what was quoted in Exodus 32, which is the same thing Peter or Stephen just preached about. The people said, where is Moses? And where is our leader? Where is the one who delivered us? And then they started going back, living ways they shouldn't have. And notice, that was an example. We have, if, it, if something's repeated again and again in Scripture, we should take heed. If the Bible keeps saying, the Lord will come back, the Lord will come back, the Lord will come back, we need to pay attention to that. If there's only one obscure statement about something, but if you see certain things, and if we see this brought up, then maybe we ought to look at this. Notice verse 7, and do not become idolaters or worship this golden calf, now, somebody said, I got no problem with that. I don't have gold for one. So there's no, I mean, I got an earring. It would be a golden ant. I mean, it's all I could make. But he's not really talking about idol worship like, dun dun golden calf. No, he's talking about letting things creep in that are not the ways of God, that are the ways of the world, and then... You know, like the Bible said, don't sleep as the world sleeps. You know, don't do what they do because the Bible said when the Lord comes, we don't want to be asleep. I know that in some senses, this doesn't always register on people like it should because really what has happened is people have lost the reality of the absolute fact that the Bible is the Word of God. That the world and even sometimes the church has lost a grasp of that. And when you lose a grasp of that, then you could go, well, you could do whatever you want to do. It'll be okay because God's just good and he'll just, it'll be all right. And, and then, but what's happened is people have lost the reverence of the word of God. It's place for humanity. It's place, well, Jesus is gone. If I lose that reality, it doesn't mean it's not a reality. If I don't respect it, that doesn't mean it shouldn't be respected. If I come up next week and say, this is stupid, it doesn't change it. It's not stupid. It's the highest thing. 
It's how people are going to know God. It's how people are going to know what's right and wrong. And when the Lord comes back, then the standard of the Word will be, bam, but it was that regardless. You know what I mean by that? In other words, just because humanity doesn't see it that way doesn't make it that way. And what happened to them was they just started going, we can go back and live any way we want to and go back to those old ways. That's what it meant by idol worship. Notice verse 7, do not become idolaters. Make a golden calf as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink. And this is Exodus 32. And rose up to play. In other words, they, they did their sacrifice to this. They lived, you know, their life. And they were, you know, had their values, so to speak. They're still there, but they're mixing their life with stuff they should not have. It goes on to give other examples, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And he goes on through this list. But I want to focus on that one of making a golden calf. The reason I say that is this. The premise behind it and the picture behind it is the absent Christ. The physically absent Christ. He is not physically here to see Him. I mean, if, if you know, how many people do stuff when people aren't around and they physically can't see somebody? Nobody's looking, I'll do that. Nobody's paying attention, I'll do that. Nobody's watching, nobody will know. That is deception. Nobody will ever know if I do this. That's like saying Jesus doesn't exist. He does. Moses actually, when he was up on the mountain, it said he heard the children of Israel when he was up there. And as he came down, he heard them partying and carrying on. Matter of fact, he wasn't too thrilled when he got back. Remember? And I'm not saying all the characteristics are how the Lord is. He loves us. I understand that. You don't earn his love. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we abuse his love. You know what I mean? And just go, well, it doesn't even matter. It'll be okay. No, this is written so that we wouldn't do it. Not so people will be perfect, and I'm not saying that, but I am saying it is really written to help us. How many people would be doing what they're doing, and I'm not necessarily saying here, if Jesus really did come tomorrow. Here's the side to this. Remember I said when Moses was up there, before he came back, he started hearing the children of Israel what they were doing down the mountain. He heard them. They were partying, and he could hear it. See, some people don't realize Jesus is there, and though he's there, he hears it. He sees it. You with me? That shouldn't frighten us per se. It should make us reverent and realize just because where is this Jesus? Because remember, before he comes, what the world will say? Where's the promise of His coming? 
since all the fathers or the ancestors fell asleep who told us all this stuff, he still hasn't come. And it says then they'll go live wrong. Because they'll say, where is it? Do we live in a day like that? Think about it. I guarantee you what's happening on TV, what happens in cities, what's happening around the world, if they had a reality of what is true, the absent Christ, and they really knew the reality, people would be tripping over themselves trying to tell people about Jesus and being kind because he's going to show up. Did I tell you I'm sorry how I treated you the other day? Oh, I did. I just want to make sure. Okay. We're good? All right. Wouldn't we be like that? Because we know he's coming. But if we lose that reality, it's like, whatever. Who do they think they are anyway? It tells us something. Here's one that everybody's going to love. You know, if you're a Republican or a Democrat, you're not supposed to hate the other person. We are of a different kingdom. Everybody matters desperately. We're not trying to win voters. Praise the Lord. Got more for my team. Now, we all have opinions, I'm sure, about who we want to win. But when it all comes down to it, if we win the election and everybody who's this party goes to hell, we're not going to be cheering. That's why the Bible said when, when believers get to heaven, that the Lord is going to have to wipe tears away from their eyes. Why? Because they're so excited they're there? No, because opportunities maybe that could have been had were not had. And then we're going to look and think, that Republican or that Democrat or this person, so glad. There's not one person who's going to be excited about anybody going to hell. You know, today, you'll hear people about, they, that person, they deserve to go to hell. They beat that little kid. They abuse them. They, they, they just deserve to go to hell. There is not one person, if they saw hell in heaven, would want that on anybody. No matter what they did. Somebody said, yeah, but they deserve it. Everybody deserved it. I'm not making an excuse for somebody who does something that's heinous and wrong and destructive to a human being. I'm not. And I'm for the death penalty, by the way. But I am for other things, like how we used to do it. You could go watch old movies. They'd always make a minister go in and talk to the person before they died. Because killing somebody, that's not killing. Well, it is killing. It's not murder. The Bible said, thou shalt not murder, not kill. The death penalty is fine. We see that in the Bible. But we should at least tell people, you have a chance to receive Jesus. You are about to die. This that's about to happen to you is not bad compared to what will happen if you don't receive him. There is mercy for you. You with me? And we should think like that. And we should be realistic in our thinking. The death penalty is not bad. Hallelujah. From a Bible standpoint, you know, because I don't agree with you. That's okay. You don't have to agree with me. Just agree with the Bible. You with me? And, and if we would esteem the Bible, we would recognize, man, oh my, he is coming. Ready or not. And if that doesn't move us, <laughs> hey, 
I've said this since this pandemic thing happened. We've read in the Scriptures for how many years? Some of us have been in church since we were a little kid, and we ain't a little kid anymore. And we heard these signs at the end. There will be pestilence and famine, and there will be, you know, uh, these sicknesses and plagues that will hit the earth. And then when one hits, people freaked out. Like, why? I never saw this coming. I can't even believe this is happening. Uh, what in the We read that. Yeah, but I didn't think it was going to happen. That's how people are acting. I, but, but it's actually happening. Yeah, that's how the Bible works. It'll actually happen. And so these things are written for our example, that we would not go after the same things, or we wouldn't make the wrong choice they made. Idols are just putting things above God and our walk with Him and the things He desires. Because we live in a world that is really polluted. And we can look at natural things and recognize there are real pictures that tell us things. If you are around a smoker, and I'm not trying to condemn anybody, but I am saying if you're around a smoker, it's going to get on you. You're going to have to deal with it. And we live in a fallen world. We're all going to have to deal with this stuff coming. Right? It's going to get on us, and we're going to have to keep it off. In other words, temptation is going to come. If you think you're going to float through life on flowery beds of ease once you're a Christian, you're awfully stupid. Well, I just got saved. I'm just going to float through life. No, you're not. But at the same time, it should be good. And there should be a force driving us knowing that, man, the Lord is going to come back. How am I acting? What if He showed up when I'm doing this? You fill in the blank. Because, see, if I fill in the blank, you might go, cool, that didn't hit mine. (laughs) But if you fill in the blank, totally different. Or if the Lord fills in the blank, and He will, because let's finish right here. First Corinthians 10. So we need to be careful that we don't drift into things we should not be doing. Fair? If it's written that that was not good, and then we see another thing where it's written that, it, that this is something they did, and here he's saying we need to be careful not to do the same thing. Well, notice this then. First Corinthians 10 And we'll begin reading in the 12th verse. We're going to skip over some of the things that are there, which would be very fascinating to look at, and we may next week. It says, therefore, verse 12, 10, 12, let him who thinks he stands... So if you think you're going and good with your walk with God, he said, let him who thinks he stands take heed, give attention, lest he fall. In other words, what was he saying? Evaluate these things that I just told you. Don't just think, well, I'm fine. Recognize there is a worthy evaluation. 
there is. And you can't go, well, that doesn't apply to me. It applies to everyone. Nobody expects to go live in the world after they give their life to the Lord and live way out there where they're not even conscious of God. Nobody expects that. But sometimes people let things get in and they start collecting stuff that all of a sudden causes them to be somewhere they never thought they would be five, ten years before. Never. But people don't realize it's little steps that make you walk up a staircase or down one. You with me? You don't just end up down the stairs or up the stairs. It takes steps. And many times as people are taking steps, their temperature is changing as they're going and they acclimate to where they're at. And that's what he was trying to say. We've got to be careful. Notice verse 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, you need to evaluate these areas. Is it okay to do things that one day were not okay to do? You know what I mean by that? We gave our life to the Lord. We knew that was wrong. But now it's okay. Well, why is it okay? It's a good question. Did I have a wrong idea about it? Or am I making adjustments that should not have been made? You know, there's an old saying, sin will take you further than you thought it would take you cost you more than you wanted to pay and keep you longer than you wanted to be there. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. But aren't you glad that the Lord didn't just say it's all about you? The very next verse says, there is no temptation or wrong desire that has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Well, that means everybody's going to face some of the draw at times. But notice this, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Notice what it does not say. Okay? This is important because it's often quoted this way. It does not say God will not put on you more than you can handle. That's how people quote it. I remember I was in a minister's meeting one time and this one guy and it was all ministers, and he asked the main guy at this uh, minister's breakfast, he said, what about that scripture where God won't put on you more than you can handle? The guy said, that's not what that scripture said. It said he won't permit. In other words, God's even if junk comes from the world, God is not going to allow the devil or anything to overpower you in other words, to come so much against you, you can't help yourself. God would never allow that. In other words, he's basically saying, nothing's going to come against you, but you can resist it. It's not going to be more powerful than you. Somebody said, yeah, but it's hard. Well, sometimes it is hard. Sometimes we make it hard. Because we've built wrong desires and wrong desires are like a vacuum going, give me, give me, give me. And then we say, it's hard to fight this because we've developed a desire for something we shouldn't. Hallelujah. But we, he, notice what he said. God's faithful. He won't permit it to get so bad 
even though it's something we do, he said, in other words, you don't ever have to give in, but notice what he said, he is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear up under it. In other words, God's going to deal with you, he's going to deal with me, and he'll make a way. But guess what? You and I got to take the way. Because he can make a way and we can know, but if we don't take the way, guess what? We're heading there. This is going over good, right? This is helpful. I mean, I know it's not like normal Sunday, like rick'em, rack'em, rock'em, get that ball and really fight, you know. Let's go, 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 Jesus. You know, but this is a truth. And it's a warning. Some of you didn't know I was a cheer person. It's as good as it gets, too, so don't wait around for more. Um, but you know what I mean? It, it's like, hey now, uh, this is written, and it's written for us. Then it says, verse 13, or at the end of that, so we might be able to bear it. Therefore, beloved, verse 14, flee from idolatry. Isn't that what he's saying? Run from this stuff. Run from it. But know this. Anybody can overcome. God will give you a way of victory. You just got to follow it. You with me? That's good news. That means no matter if the rest of the world goes down this path, you don't have to. So when the Lord comes back, you're not going to be going, I worship you golden cow. Amen? And we don't have to be going, I worship you, golden cow. Somebody said, well, I'd never do that. It's not a golden cow. You with me? Isn't the Lord good? And uh, so these are examples. Because people end up where they would never think they would have ended up with God by not paying attention to some of this. Right? Don't we all know some of them? Good people. People at one time, man, they loved God. They were the first one there and the last one to leave. Now they're not there to leave. But thank God, God will draw them still. 